Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Echo Network's Imagine India podcast. I'm your host, Shannon Olson. At the Echo Network, we dream of the world not as it is, but as it could be. It's one of the reasons that we love the power of science and technology to shape our futures. We know that by working together, we already have all the tools we need to achieve our dreams. The Echo Network's Imagine India podcast listens to the dreams that our world's light bringers have for India and our planet. We believe that by listening to each other, we can begin to bring those many dreams together for a collective vision that can become the new reality. So let's start now. Today's guest is a CEO, a strategist, a policy advocate, an author, a trustee, an advisor, and as we know her, my friend, and head of sustainability and the head of policy and advocacy at the Tata Trust, as well as acting CEO at the India Climate Collaborative, Shloka Nath, welcome to our program. Hi, Sharon. Thank you so much for having me here. I'm so excited to do this with you today. We're so excited. You've been with our network from the very beginning, Shloka. You've been such an advocate for what we're doing and, and such a friend to me as well. And, and I would like to say a mentor. So I'm so excited to have you on our program. With your background in journalism, I'd like to start with some headline news. So we've just come out of COP27, and I know that you are heavily involved in the activities surrounding this year's event, as I'm sure you are every year. And one of the biggest outcomes was this deal that happened early on Sunday that could provide potentially billions of dollars from wealthy countries to help developing nations treat uh, symptoms of climate change. And now I know you've, you not only have a master's in public policy from Harvard, but you're also the CEO of the India Climate Collaborative, which for those of you who don't know is an India-led platform of philanthropies uh, designed to accelerate India's development and climate goals. So I'd like to ask you, Shilko, I mean, what what should India do with any support that comes its way from, from these efforts that were talked about at the COP? Well, I think you're right in that it was a truly historic COP um, in the sense that, you know, this fund to address loss and damage was um you know, finally approved. Um, and I think it's definitely a testament to really the tenacity that we saw from climate negotiators, um, mm. you know, from vulnerable countries, they have persevered. And I think it's really a victory for, for vulnerable nations. Um, it's a warning shot in some senses to mm -hmm. polluters or polluting nations that they can't just go scot-free when it comes to, when it comes to the inevitable consequences of, you know, climate action or destruction rather. And I think India, you know, in particular, really engaged quite constructively and actively around the, the subject of loss and damage. Um, so that was, I think, a really um, important moment for us as well. But look, India's challenge is, I think, very, um, you know, pertinent, important and clear. We, we have um, a country that is, you know, the seventh most vulnerable when it comes to climate change. I've always said this, that India maintains a dual responsibility in the world because mm. we're also the third highest emitter. Yes. And I think, 
there is a tremendous amount that we need to do. Most important, not build ourselves or lock ourselves into high carbon development pathways at this stage. Yes, we've announced, you know, net zero in 2070, and that's an important step. But Mm -hmm. the short term is probably even more important than the long term. And we can't forget that fact. Like the decisions that we take today are going to have ramifications for the next 20, 30 years. And so it really is about being able to now develop cogent roadmaps for how we get to net zero. And that is going to be an incredible sort of transition across our economies. It's going to involve, you know, every sector you can think of, um, a multitude of actors to come together, and it's going to require coordinated action. And so that I really think is the need of the hour um, in terms of what we have to do moving forward from from COP27. I said before that you've, you're, you're a celebrated journalist and you've been a news anchor as well. And so if you were sent back into the field to report on India, what, what to you are the biggest stories for India right now? Or maybe the biggest stories that aren't being reported in the news? The fact that there are millions of people and communities and organizations across this country who are really working to solve the climate crisis and they're building yes. resilience to climate shocks. They're providing mm-hmm. clean, renewable energy to their communities. They're protecting and restoring natural ecosystems. They're transitioning farms to regenerative agricultural practices. And they're doing all of this work with limited resources and sometimes against seemingly insurmountable odds. And these communities and solutions need our support today. And so the the race against time, um, you know, also needs to really factor in the fact that we need larger pools of private and public finance, but especially philanthropic funding. And it really needs to go towards supporting individuals and communities. You know, the way we move forward here in India, we have to build roadmaps and research, you know, as well as on the ground implementation. Um, and we require um you know, a a set of solutions that prioritize the well-being of communities as well as biodiversity, just as much as we look to hit those emissions targets. Mm. And that Mm. has to be sort of that, you know, we have to lead with that dual purpose. I I love that you just said that, because that's also something that, you know, our, our network believes strongly in, that there are so many people and communities and, and at all aspects of society who who actually are doing things no definitely i think when it comes to climate solutions overall um i think what we've realized at the icc is that there is this massive entry gap you know Mm. just very sort of particular to the way that you've described it for most um and i can speak to philanthropic or grant capital because that's really the universe that we work in but Mm. there are these like tremendous sort of barriers um, do funding in this space and, and a big portion of that or piece of that is really the lack of I think visibility around pipeline and solution sets so mm. something that we're doing at the ICC is building a, a, mar- a climate solutions platform it's really a marketplace where we hope to showcase sort of best in class projects across the country that can speak to different types of grant capital um, and different sectors and ticket sizes etc it's just a really big initiative on our part to start building out some transparency in the system, but also 
starting to delineate between good or bad climate solutions. I think right. there is, you know, greater and greater sort of levels of efficiency that you can build in around what you're funding. Tree plantation projects, for instance, there is a real risk with those kind of projects being incredibly ineffectual if, for instance, you know, we we look to plant monoculture or if community ownership isn't involved, etc. So you can do things... Um, you can do things or you can do things really well, you know. Um, so right. that's something that we're hoping to sort of solve for. There's just a lot of complexity there. And so what you have is a need to really list out those benefits and related indicators, you know, within the specific ecosystem characteristics of those, of those you know, environmental zones across the country. So to give you an example... If it was an agroforestry project, for instance, your indicators could range from very primary indicators like carbon sequestration or income generation or soil carbon improvement to secondary indicators, which are things like, you know, improvements in water efficiency or, right. you know, improvement in the biodiversity in those areas. Um, and again, we know that this is taking place on the ground, but it's really haphazard. We haven't figured out how to standardize those metrics. One solution is IUCN's global standard mm-hmm. um, for nature-based solutions. They have a set of eight criteria, 27 indicators mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. to define what actually constitutes successful and sustainable nature-based solutions. And we have not figured out how to contextualize that for India yet, or we haven't done that yet, rather. Um, but that could be... I think a really efficient way to build a coherent guideline, a set of coherent guidelines around how to design and implement nature-based solutions. I do think that there's a great need for um, for capacity building too in these organizations and communities uh, that could hopefully then reciprocate getting more support from from grant and philanthropy and and even governmental funding as well. I think. I'd like to switch gears here, Shloka, and and uh, we've been talking about very big issues, global and national issues, and I'd I'd like to talk about you um, as an as an individual. I I always um, have admired you ever since the first time we met, and you have such an, a fascinating journey. And when I asked you how you'd like to be remembered, you told me that you wanted to be known that you were kind and that you moved lightly through this planet and that you left behind some light and that you made people laugh, which is a really, really beautiful and, and very, to me, shloka sentiment. It's, it, I could see you saying this when, when, when you wrote that back to me. And, you know, you've had so many roles as a leader. I mean, besides your current title at the ICC, you've been a trustee at CSMBS and vice president of the Bombay Natural History Society. You've been a member of the uh, advisory board. You just mentioned the IUCN's um, Nature-Based Recovery Initiative. And you even co-founded the Sankhya Women's uh, Impact Fund. Um, As a woman, balancing being kind and nice with also being an effective leader, which where kindness maybe takes a different form that maybe as women were traditionally not taught to be. So I really wanted to ask you this question, Soka. I mean, how do you balance being so kind, and I agree, you do move lightly, um, along with being such an effective leader. You've been so effective at everything you've done. Um, such an important question. Um, I'd love to hear what you think, Shannon, before I sort of get into <laughs> it, because I know you're someone who has so many sort of crucial thoughts around this. But um, yeah, 
let me tell me what you think and, and then I'm gonna sort of jump off that as well because I know we're very alike. I mean, I, I think it is difficult, you know, and I've struggled with this my entire career because, of course, you should be kind. I mean, that goes without saying, but sometimes being kind isn't being nice. And that is a difficult lesson. And it took me many, many years to learn this, right? That sometimes the kindest thing you can do is to actually be very firm and sometimes very forceful. way we're traditionally thought to act as women um, is, is not generally the qualities of uh, that a leader needs to portray. And this friction makes it sometimes difficult for us to be effective and to maintain this kindness. Um, I do think there's a way to do it. I think you're an amazing example of this, Shloka. Um, I, I, I think you don't have to be loud and brash and forceful to get your point across. But I also think that it also, um, it doesn't mean you have to be meek and subservient, right? That's not what kindness is. So, I mean, that's, I guess, what I would say. I'd really, again, I guess we'll turn it back to you. I'd really like to hear your thoughts. No, I couldn't agree more. I think, um, I think you've already sort of articulated it beautifully, but it is, it is always a balancing act between being able to like assert what is what is right and what is wrong and i think sometimes we as women want to be liked more than we mm. more than we feel the need to you know be right or to stand up for ourselves and i think you know i've gone on a very similar journey as you have which is you know wanting to appease um as a means of sort of feeling like I could fit in or I could conform to what was like mm. expected of me and so that ended up actually building a far more toxic work culture not just for folks mm. around me but for myself um, and then you realize that you know you you have to figure out what you owe allegiance to and if it's yourself it's your work or your mission or your organization and of course to your team then, um, you know, you know how to prioritize things like feedback or why it's important to set personal boundaries or right. why, you know, you need to be able to handle conflict. And I think, like I said, it's it's something you just start discovering more and more that, that the, what really matters is like being able to face yourself in the middle at the end of the day, being able to sleep well at night. Um, and I think you can do this I think that is being kind. I think it's being kind mm. to yourself. Mm. And that can give right. you a sense and that sense of fullness on the other hand can give you, um, yeah. I think a lot more, I don't know if I'm articulating this right, but just a lot more space for others. Yes, yes. Yeah, I agree. I like that you said you have to be kind to yourself, um, because I think that often doesn't come into the equation. Lucky are those families who who bring up their girls to, to recognize that. It's something that I really try to do with my own daughter. Um, and I wanted to say, you know, speaking of inspirational women, I, I'd like to ask you, who is Indira Mahindra? That is actually my grandmother. And she was quite the... Um, quite the remarkable figure. I always say she was ahead of her time. She was someone who, um, she was an author and wrote several books um, on, you know, feminism as well back in the, mm -hmm. back in the 70s and 80s. Um, she was a professor and taught. Um, and I think more important was someone who just really lifted herself out of her 
circumstances and i think propelled herself forward is as i said as as someone who really lived life with a lot of grace and mm. and um i think you know it speaks volumes for the fact that she was you know someone who in the 50s um you know joined the indian film industry and and she was an actress for a while and i think just just someone who really as i said charted her own course um mm. as a woman and was thinking about these questions you know a very 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 long time ago and uh, i always look to her to sort of you know she really embodies for me the the ideal of as i said um what it means to be like a thoughtful considerate human being on this planet who's also you know really thinking and fighting for others in space not yeah. just your own yeah yeah it's such a beautiful tribute to i mean a truly remarkable woman and who has helped raise a remarkable woman in you as well um and i see so many of those qualities and and in terms of path breaking in in you shloka as well so um that's very kind shannon i appreciate <laughs> that i i don't know if i quite believe it but i appreciate it thank you And um, on that note I think it's time to ask you the three questions that are always the heart of our program which is about your dream and I would like you to close your eyes and imagine the India of 2032 that you dream of and I'd like you to describe it to me you know my dream is an india that is equitable um you know free freer than it is right now mm. i i want to see an india where we transition to a development paradigm that really looks to prioritize intersectional equity and it places mm-hmm. communities at the center um you know in india underprivileged populations have historically always found it difficult to access benefits available to the rest of us and i really want to see in india where the climate crisis doesn't compound those um those differences or those inequities but rather we work to start solving for them i'd like to ask you i mean if i could give you a a wish grant a wish to you i had magical powers and <laughs> i could make that india happen for you so how how would you what would you use that wish for uh gosh i really wish you could um <laughs> i wish i could too <laughs> i know i mean it's like to build the adaptive capacity of communities towards the climate risk that they face um to sort of ensure that the transition that we make now in in our economies um as we build these low carbon futures that we look you know to also build in that justice and equity lens um that as i said we really look to build a future that is free and fair for all we have to be able to support communities as we transition mm-hmm. to a low carbon economy and and they have to be able to reap the advantage of the energy transition but but i think you are doing that i mean i i think while i can't grant you the wish immediately i think you are working towards that yourself so can you tell me some of the things that that you're working on right now towards this this broader dream you have for equity and um in in communities in india and honestly i would say the globe as well 
Yeah, I mean, we're, well, it's very kind of you to say that we're doing that. It never feels enough. I mean, we are trying to galvanize philanthropic capital towards climate action. And, um, you know, we do feel that, as I mentioned earlier, like the public and private sectors are starting to understand that climate is a cross-cutting issue. And I think we're seeing that realization seep into the philanthropic community as well. They're seeing that climate is affecting a variety of development focus areas because, and I always say this, the climate movement isn't really about climate. Um, right. It's actually about the loss of income, about the destabilization of livelihoods. It's about the destruction of property and communities. There's deep, deep overarching issues of social justice. So that is the language that we need to speak to now when we talk about climate and why I think the philanthropic community is actually uniquely positioned to support climate action. That's what we're trying to do in India. The ICC is, you know, really looking to identify critical sectors that need investment. We're driving funding towards climate solutions. Um, and we really mobilize funding by working with our donor network, both Indian and international, to simplify that process and in investing in climate solutions. So good. It's been an immense joy to speak with you today. Um, you know, I I see and hear people in in colors and sounds and feelings. And whenever I think of you, I think of sunshine. I think of a ray of sunshine because I think that's what you do and what you give to others. And I think you're a huge hope um, for for India and for for me as well as someone who's also fighting alongside you for a for a better tomorrow for our, for our ecosystems. And uh, it I think you give not only me, but all of us hope that the dreams that you envisioned with me today will truly be realized for, for all of us. So I, I really want to thank you for coming on, on our podcast today. Thank you for having me. It's been such a wonderful conversation as always. I appreciate <laughs> you, Shannon, and your work so much. Um, thank you for being an ally always. And again, I really appreciate the, the kind wishes and thoughts um it's always it's always great to know that you have friends in the work that we do yeah i absolutely and uh and i look forward to continuing to work with you and the icc and all of the other endeavors that you're involved with as as our our network moves forward um and if any of our listeners are interested in the work that shloka is doing uh, or would like to contact her of course please head over to the icc website or you can also write us at info at echonetwork.in and we can connect you to Shloka directly. And I'd like to finally thank all of our listeners out there for being with us today and, and again this month. And I hope that you'll please tune in next month when we share more dreams for India and for the world. And until then, we wish you love and hope and keep dreaming. Bye, everybody. Bye.